Hey guys, uh, this is a new semester. We're, we're stuck right in the middle of Romans chapter 10. Uh, it is a, somewhat of a difficult thing to, um, to dive right back in but without doing some kind of review. We, we have to, I think. And I, that, of course, slows us down a week uh, as we review a little bit. But uh, I, I hope there will be some new information that, that will be uh, included in the review tonight. But we really had actually, one of my motives for, for wanting to, to review, uh, there's a couple of motives, but one of them is we're on the lip of a very um, well-known, very uh, uh, much-beloved text of Scripture, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, which is, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's one of those verses that always find their ways into Scripture memory programs. Uh, many of you have memorized that text. It is, it is one of those um, uh, well-known, uh, I, I hate to use the word, but I, I will, famous verses in the Bible. So we're right on the heels of it, and, and, I, and I don't want to jump into it without getting some kind of running start uh, so that we can understand it and enjoy it and drink it at its fullest. So what I want to do, um, uh, we're really, we really kind of um, wrapped up the end of verse 8, but what I want to do is that I want to read you, um, beginning in verse 1, <clears throat> I want to read you through verse 10. And then we're going to review the immediate verses where, in, where we left off. And then I'm going to give you kind of a, we're going to back up and get a, a broader uh, kind of context so that we can get into verse 9 um, with, with a connection to the context. Okay? That's what we're going to do tonight. We may, we may even get finished a minute or two early, but you follow as I read a, 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 an extraordinary passage of Scripture beginning at verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will dis descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Um, guys, this is, this is just a wonderfully rich passage. Uh, verse 4, that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, um, is, is monumental in terms of an understanding of the gospel. But we were really in uh, verses 5 through 8 when we left off at the, uh, the end of November. Um, and, and in those verses, verses 5 through 8, Paul is making a comparison 
uh, <clears throat> a comparison between a righteousness uh, that is based on law and uh, with a righteousness that is based on faith that he mentions in verse 6. If you, if you look at your text, you'll see that that's what he's doing. He says, <clears throat> what does a righteousness that is based on law look like? Well, <clears throat> this is what it look like. It looks like. you got to do all the commandments, uh, the spirit of the law, the letter of the law as interpreted by Jesus. You do all that and you're, you'll be fine. And compared to that, he begins in verse 6, there is a righteousness that some think that is based on the law, and he says in verse 6, the righteousness that is based on faith is what I'm preaching. And he's comparing those two. A righteousness based on law slash works, if that's a better and more understandable term, and a, law, and a righteousness that is based on faith. And the trouble with option number one, the one, uh, verse five, that is the righteousness that is based on law, the trouble with that is not simply its difficulty. The trouble with that is its impossibility. Um, there, there is, there are those who choose that option, never realizing that the, that the doing of the law in spirit and in letter, as interpreted by Christ, is impossible. The keeping of the law, um, living a life uh, hoping to obtain righteousness by works, is an impossibility. It's not just that it's difficult, as if there are a few out there, hearty souls that they are, that have accomplished it. No. It's an impossibility. And then he turns his attention in verse 6 in describing... Um, a righteousness based on faith. And, and, I, and I said to you weeks ago that the language here is very, it's very cryptic. It's almost discouraging to read it because you think, well, what the heck is he doing now? The Apostle Paul, that is. Uh, the righteousness that is faith, that is based on faith, um, uh, says, do not say in your heart. And then he does this thing about uh, bring Christ down, bring Christ up, all that business. Um, <clears throat> what he is suggesting that is that a, a righteousness that is based on faith, notice in the, verse 6, it does not say that I must go out and do something big, some, some great thing. Do not say, he says in verse 6, who will ascend to heaven? Do not say that. Christianity does not call for your heroic efforts as if climbing into heaven or plumbing the depths of the abyss is what you're going to have to do to obtain it. Do not say that, says the Apostle Paul. Don't think that. Don't think that, that the righteousness that is based on faith says that you need to do something heroic so that you might obtain it. Christianity does not call for your heroics. Um, au contraire, it's, he says in verse 8, the word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. There was a Jewish, there was, there was a part of Jewish thought that included this idea <clears throat> that if the Messiah was to ever come, that Israel, that Judaism was going to have to climb its way up into heaven and drag him down. Paul says, <clears throat> with Judaism in mind, he says, do not say 
that you have to go to heaven and bring him down. No, no. Both of these ideas that are mentioned in verses 6 and 7, um, do not, who will ascend into heaven? And then in verse 7, who will descend into the abyss? Both of those ideas refer to the doing of something heroic, to the doing of something miraculous. Paul says, the righteousness that is based on faith doesn't ask you to do that. It never says, go out and do something heroic. As if you've got to go on this quest or this voyage so that you can <coughs> accomplish great feats and, and um, accomplish mighty works so that you can have it. That's the very opposite of the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. Christianity, and this is, this is almost a dangerous statement that I'm about to make because it's, it can be misunderstood to our, to our harm, but Christianity demands no effort on your part. Now, now guys, um, There's always this risk of confusing you. Christianity demands no effort on your part to enter it and to assure yourself that you're a part of it. Now, but having done that, you know there is some effort that is put forward. But that effort that is put forward is not an effort that, that obtains any merit for you. Let me say it again. Christianity demands no effort on our parts. And in fact, it not only demands no effort, it permits no effort. Whereas a righteousness that is based on works, that's all it is, is effort and doing and accomplishment. Christianity demands and permits no effort on our parts because, because all the effort has been performed by Christ. We don't provide anything. Anything. We don't provide anything. You don't provide a, a ceremony of baptism. You don't provide a... a faithful marriage, you don't provide church attendance, you don't provide anything because everything that's required of you is provided for you. It has all been provided. So Paul says a righteousness that is based on faith does not say go do something. A righteousness that is based on faith never says, go do something big, go do something little. It doesn't say, go do something at all. The gospel that, 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 that this New Testament describes and that Paul preaches demands no effort on the part of the recipients of this gospel. We provide nothing. What we do is, we rest in a provision that has been made for us. And for us who understand the gospel, that is enough. What God has provided 
is enough. Guys, I'm telling you, the Christian community is tormented. I had a little couple in my office today. Sweet little believers, I believe, but tormented. I mean, here was her question. Dr. Young, what if I commit some sin and I'm in a car accident and I die before I repent of that sin? Do I go to heaven? Now, I don't know if anybody would ever asked that question, but ladies and gentlemen, do you know what that represents? It represents a misunderstanding of the gospel. Because the issue is not your performance anywhere. The issue is on a provision that has been made for you. And for us who embrace this gospel, that provision is enough. That provision calms and soothes the the, the clamorings of our soul and the and the fears that we have of death and dying, we turn not to what I did and did I repent of it and did I repent enough of it and did I get them taken care of. And it, it, It's a gospel that depends on the work of Christ provided for me. Guys, we are unnecessarily tormenting ourselves because we do not understand the beauty of this gospel. Um, the, the righteousness that is based on faith does not say. And, and, and look at it. I mean, Paul says, do not say this. Do not say this. I mean, it's, it's just masterful. But he's, it, the righteousness that is based on faith does not say ever, ever. It doesn't ever say, go do something. It says, rest in the provision that God has, has, has made for someone as wicked and as sinful as I. Oh my goodness. The gospel that we preach, ladies and gentlemen, is essentially simple. It is, at its very heartbeat, simple. It is not complex. It is not difficult. Like the law, the, the righteousness that is based on law. I mean, uh, I mean, if, if your righteousness is based on law, who do you who do you uh, who do you check in with as, in terms of what I have to do? Do I check in with Judaism or do I check in with Islam or the Mormonism or who, who, do, who do I whose whose law do I follow? That's complex, and actually, it's not only complex. As I said earlier, it's impossible. The gospel is essentially simple. The gospel says, and I, and, and I wanted I wanted to put these two words up here. I wanted this because I mean this is nothing. You don't need to take this down, but I I just wanted it to be as stark in your mind. The gospel simply says, abandon yourself. <clears throat> it doesn't say. Go do something. It says, abandon yourself to Christ. And I'm telling you, gang, this is where folks stumble so badly. This abandon yourself. 
That's the last thing that he wants to do. That's counterintuitive. Do you know what I mean by that? Intuition would tell me that if I want to get right with God, then I've got to do certain things that would please him and and accomplish uh, a certain standard that would make him happy. That's intuitive. Based on human intuition. That's what I would think it it would be. But the gospel is counterintuitive. It says abandon. Abandon yourself. Um, But I'm telling you, gang, the the unbelieving world would rather try and fail. They would rather do that than abandon themselves to Christ. They, They would rather try and fail than to depend on someone else for their safety. Um, in, in, in a lot of places, Christ is a great, marvelous example, but He's not the Savior. I mean, uh, the golden rule. People applaud that thing, and rightly so. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a fine thing to have Christ as my example, but to have Him as my Savior, no! He's got a certain moral example that he can accept for me. Yes, I will follow that. I will look into that. I will applaud that and I'll try to emulate that. But to abandon myself to him. Now, guys, that's that's where we were back in November. But I want you to see, I want you to step back with me, kind of draw, and I want you to see how this plugs into the overall message of chapter 10. And then we'll launch forward next week with something fairly unique, I hope. Um, I know you're not going to remember this. I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not trying to be ugly. I mean, I, I, mean, I just know you couldn't. I, and I wouldn't um, because I said it back in September. I'm not sure you remember what I said five minutes ago, much less September. Um, but I'm not fooling, fooling myself. I, um, but back in September, I told you, and if you, I hope I, you need to look at your, your copies I told you back in September that chapter 10, chapter 10 is basically an extended commentary on chapter 9, verses 31 and 32. Pretty much 32. But do you remember, take a look back there at Romans 9. Do you remember, uh, look at verse 30, what shall we say then, then Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that is by faith. That is, Gentiles were storming into this thing. This, this, they were embracing the gospel, you know, in, in massive numbers. Keep reading with me, verse 31. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stomach stone. Paul recognizes, I mean, is, is describing a situation that is Gentiles were storming into this, into the church, uh, storming into the reception of the gospel, and yet Jews were not. There was only this little trickle of Jews. Why? Why were they not coming? Look at it in verse 32. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. Why didn't they come to this? 
Because they chose heroics. They preferred heroics. They preferred the quest. I'm going to launch off into a life of righteous living and I'm going to be a good man. They, they preferred the, to, to cross the abyss or to conquer the dragons or to slay the cyclops. They, they preferred an option that allowed them to maintain this notion that they could save themselves. That they could somehow earn this. Gang, make no mistake about it. The issue in a rejection of the gospel, the issue is not academic, it's not intellectual, it is not rational, it is not that even that we Christians have done such a bad job representing Jesus. That's awful. But the issue is this. The issue is not that Christianity doesn't have a an intellectual sound or that it is academically consistent or that it is rationally defensible. That's not the issue, ladies and gentlemen. And when somebody saunters in my office and says, well, I've got a few, uh, you know, i got a few problems with this Christianity thing you got there, boy, and I, you know, I just want to, I just want to talk to you about all my hang-ups. They got hang-ups, ladies and gentlemen. The hang-ups are not intellectual. The hang-ups is that the gospel calls them to abandon yourself. And they would rather die than do that. Because, guys, the gospel eliminates merit. The gospel eliminates self. And unbelief, and unbelief rejects any gospel that tells them that they can't participate. That they, that they are unable to contribute... Oh, that's an offensive idea to the unbelieving world. That I don't have anything that I offer. You know, um, in my recent conversations with Judaism, I, I mean, I, I saw a man, I, I, saw, I saw his muscles in his jaw tense up. And I saw teeth begin to grind. And it was with this sentence, or a reasonable facsimile, he said, any idea of a blood atonement for our sin is, is nasty. That's not the word he used. But the idea of a blood atonement, the idea that you're asking me to abandon myself to some kind of blood atonement that was accomplished for me by, by, by a Savior, I want nothing to do with it. It's offensive to me. Ladies and gentlemen, your friends who are not Christians, they are not Christians 
for no other reason than that they are being told they cannot contribute to their salvation. They are not Christians because the gospel tells them you cannot earn this. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the only reason that you and I have embraced this gospel is because God has seen fit to open our eyes to to embrace it and love it. I'm not trying to speak... I'm not not trying to speak um, in a sectarian way. I'm trying to tell you that when Paul compares a righteousness that is based on law and a righteousness that is based on faith, the righteousness that is based on law says, go earn this. And the gospel says, you can't earn it. You must abandon yourself. You have no contribution to make other than one that is a bad one. And that gospel is, a, is an offense. That is, not a, that is not a happy message for people who continue to believe that the way that I'm going to accomplish this is that I'm going to cross the abyss. I'm going to ascend into heaven. I'm going to go on a quest. I'm going to go on a voyage. I'm going to be an heroic liver. The gospel says all that has to be discarded. And um, when unbelief is told that they can make no contribution and that the only contribution that they make is their sin, it's an offensive message. It's, it's offensive because ultimately, for unbelief, their confidence is in self. And the gospel turns that upside down. So, why is Paul grieving over his countrymen? Because they made a choice. And they chose to pursue righteousness that is based on law. And that is simply evidence that they may have a zeal for God, but it is an ignorant zeal. It is not a zeal according to knowledge. And they have sought to um, establish a righteousness that is their own. The gospel says, that must be abandoned and you must cast yourself on a provision that was made for you in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And then he makes this glorious statement that we'll look at next week. That's great. Father, I thank you that I understand the gospel and that so many in this room do, but we do not because we're smarter or better or 
more qualified or, or prettier or, or more valuable than anybody else. It is because of sovereign grace that you have removed the blinders from our eyes so that we might see this, this message in all of its beauty, in all of its saving wonder. Father, we are who we are because of grace. Matchless, incomparable, amazing grace. And it is that we enjoy. And it is that that gives us confidence for the future and for eternity. And it is that message that we have for a world. And I pray that you will use Grace Event to broadcast it. We make our prayer, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night.